Akshay, did you always knew what you wanted to do when you passed out from MBA? I was all over the place. Yeah, Saurabh, what about you? Yeah, I didn't have any idea, I didn't have any idea. Confused about your career choices? Wondering what steps to take next? In this podcast called Beyond Campus, Saurabh Garg, founder of C4E, and Akshadat, founder of Punnati, are on a mission to crack open the career success code for the youth. So, let's turn the dream into reality. Hi, I'm Geetansh. I'm the founder and CEO for Rentomojo. We're the largest furniture and appliances rental company in India. Have you ever thought to yourself that you want to be your own boss? Our guest for today, Gitansh Bamania, was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug quite early. He began hustling in his school days by selling comics. And it was only a matter of time when he decided to enter the business arena. Through his startup, Gitansh has solved a major headache of the urban population of making their rented properties habitable without huge investments. Listen to Gitanj share his journey of becoming a successful entrepreneur. So Gitanj, tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? I grew up in Chhattisgarh, that's in Bilai, uh, you know, a typical town where, you know, either somebody becomes a doctor or an engineer. Uh, these are likely the two professions uh, that most of the people kind of go into. Uh, yeah, so my, my mother's a doctor, father's an engineer. I, my brother uh, is, is graduated from IIT Bombay. So I think that set the path for me as well to pursue graduation in engineering itself. And I graduated from IIT Madras. So uh, growing up, uh, was there like an entrepreneurship ka kida ke mujhe apna khud ka kuch karna hai? Or was it like uh, you were inspired by your parents to follow the path of engineer or doctor? No, I nothing like that. I, I don't think I had an aspiration. I mean, I... Uh, I remember vaguely that I wanted to be an astronaut or something like that, uh, you know, uh, at childhood. But uh, I was always involved in something or the other. I mean, I was renting out comics at that point in time. I was uh, creating smaller events. Uh, Then I was creating a lot of uh, cricket match competitions between several streets. I, I think I had that. I just, I don't know, I wanted to do something off the hook or you know, out, outside the box, outside my daily routine or work. So that was always there. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but I never thought that, you know, entrepreneur, I didn't even know entrepreneurship or mostly coming from a service class, you tend to think or, you know, you get pursued towards that ja servicing service mein hi hoga, uh, you know. So, you know, I think that was the thought process at, uh, at my house as well. Uh, it, it even took them some time to actually, uh, you know, come to terms with that the, their son is, uh, you know, pursuing startups. So, uh, why did you decide IIT? Like, it was clear that engineer was the best second type. Huh, that was about it. I think uh, that was the only path which was there because my brother had already, I basically wanted to go out and, you know, I wanted to go out to Bombay or Delhi or something like that. Uh, you know, so these were the means to go out of the city at the end of the day. 
कॉलेज में थोड़ा सा फील आने लग गया था कि कुछ ना कुछ तो खुद का चालू करना है बिकॉज जो भी कुछ भी चीजें दिमाग में आ रही थी लाइक I was trying to help a friend of mine uh, get a house in Pune at that point of time, and I, uh, uh, I, I just realized that the process for that is so cumbersome. That you know, if there are photos, videos, if there are things that I can go and see, so I don't have to travel to Pune to you know help somebody out. So you know, I, I thought possibly a platform like that can be good. and cut to you know sare platforms like housing.com and common floor and all of these essentially happened magic bricks was already there so to jo bhi kuch soch raha tha to waisa you know i i think uh, slowly and gradually the you know if you face a problem and you try and figure out a solution for it i think that what turns into a business if the problem statement is scalable and large enough and you are Uh, and your solution is scalable as well that forms a very good business at the end of the day to wo thoda sa aise feel aa rahi thi ki you know dimag mein problems ke solutions acche aa rahe the jo ki dikh raha tha ki idhar udhar you know they are converting into some or the other venture so i i started thinking at that point in time ki kuch na kuch to karunga okay so did you have any side hustles in college any extra curricular like you told me school mein you started a cricket competition and a comic rental business so college mein bhi aisa kuch kiya ha lit fest pe jitne kafi sare events karata tha to you know whatever we could earn from it but uh, but nothing major as uh, you know uh, as such uh, college went into you know all these extra curriculars and specifically i think by the time i realized that placements are on uh, the only i think a little out of the box hustle that i did is possibly i was the first one to uh be a cfa level 1 qualified uh in my college at that point of time because ab aap agar uh, you know uh, aap agar 8.9 or 9.9 ho to you need to stand out in the placements so you need to do something about it at that point of time my brother was giving uh, you know was a i think he cleared level 2 by then uh, so i i thought you know this would help me stand uh, apart so i i you know apart from engineering i i gave finance as well uh you know when uh, that really helped me in my placements so you did a cfa inspired by your brother to some extent uh, as a way to stand apart during placements uh, did you have an inclination in finance or it was just that you felt uh, that you know your brother's advice would be good and so you did it you know, the core i like maths uh, so finance was mostly maths only uh, at the end of the day so uh you know i don't think it was i mean it was good it was interesting anything new is interesting for me i mean uh that's that's the fun of it uh, i i really liked i enjoyed the time while i was preparing for it 
uh, sort of a complex challenge any complex problem to solve i think that that piques my interest so at that point in time just the challenge was that if i can make use of my summer vacation in the college and you know give the exam and crack it i think that was a uh, you know that was i don't know i mean that was a good challenge that i wanted to pursue and you know sort of happened so uh, you you did a integrated btech tech program so that would be like a five year program so this you did in your fifth year this i did yes okay okay then what happened during placements where did you get placed i i went into kpmg uh, you know so uh, uh, so i was consulting for you know two to three months roughly but i realized that i'm not the best fit there uh, you know because it's it's a lot more bureaucratic in nature uh, you know and big companies have to be at the end of the day unfortunately so you know it's it's difficult to execute your own ideas uh, so at that point in time while i was consulting i was consulting a lot of people um, being a fresher i used to consult my brother i used to find out for most of the complex problems that you know were coming towards me uh, since the, the, they were new i used to reach out to other people for finding out how to get this done so i thought if i'm doing this if i'm consulting others to consult uh, you know a bunch of my clients why not create that into a platform where two uh, folks can consult each other like a two linkedin profile uh, can come together and consult each other so that's the platform that i wanted to build and that's what i jumped on to i think i joined flipkart for a you know quick while just to you know keep funding that project parallelly and i the moment the project was ready i kind of launched with it which nowadays you know there are many platforms like an academy and you know there's several who are in the same domain but i think what the idea was a little uh, you know i don't know maybe the execution was not that great or maybe the idea was a little ahead of time how uh, how much did you spend to set to get the ball rolling what was the initial product that you built and I think spent around four to five lakhs. Took some capital from my parents, uh, my mom, and again my brother. Took some capital from both of them, and uh, you know floated this out. So, what did you build as your initial product? Like a, a site where people can list the skills that they want to offer, and other people can search for uh, consulting on those areas, something like that. No, so at that point in time, LinkedIn Auth was a lot more open. So you know, basically, you need to log. on to the platform and you know if you log in through linkedin it 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 used to essentially fetch all the information uh from your profile and used to just mention the skill sets essentially the kind of experience that you have and you had to of course choose whether you know you are in the uh, in in the profession of uh, you know uh, you are a lawyer you are a financial uh, consultant or you are an accountant etc etc so depending on that uh, you know folks could have uh, you know if i have a certain query let's say i have some query on taxation i can you know browse around i can you know pick mentors that i want to book my time with and i can uh, you know uh, get on a call with them to understand that query and you know possibly i'll be charged for that call uh, it can it, it uh, in those days i was trying to do both a call sort of a to scheduling a calendar scheduling or a webcam interaction so tried for i was of course seeing a little more response for webcam uh, interactions mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. okay and they would pay through the platform and you would keep a commission that was the revenue model 
yeah initially i was just you know in the initial days i, I you know that's that's what i think we built a good product but you know i, I think the dna for sales and marketing was a little uh was not there so much uh you know so uh, uh we kept on building a good product thinking that people are going to come uh, on the platform themselves so initially we didn't charge consumers for this kind of a service so it was pretty much on a freemium uh, basis but slowly and gradually as we uh, went forward uh, we started uh, charging the consumers and uh, for a commission out of it but initially it was all free so your goal was to be a platform where lawyers financial analysts and uh, maybe hr consultants management consultants all of them would uh, start earning from your platform by providing by selling their hours essentially yeah selling their hours and you know it could have been a platform uh, you know uh, where i mean which is safe to actually go and select a mentor and pay as well uh, so those are some of the things that i wanted to work upon okay and uh, you were doing this with other co-founders or you were alone here i was alone i was alone but i had a team of 5 or 6 how did you fund the salaries this was from that initial capital which you had yeah from the initial capital that i got from my brother and uh, my mother uh, that's 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 how i funded the you know program for a little while paid salaries it grew from about a two people team to about a seven to eight people team but you know uh, but unfortunately the uh, revenues were dipping okay so when so when did you decide that uh, this is not working out and what did you do next so uh, we were trying to get all these mentors but they said we were not using a lot of capital for very innovative marketing at that point in time uh, you know so what was happening Uh, was what we realized i mean the insight that we got was if the mentor's profile is good enough people were flocking in themselves because you know the mentor is you know sort of the profile itself is good and so we started getting fairly high uh, you know high valued guys uh, which are you know possibly uh, have sold companies etc etc i mean uh, so you know those kind of guys um but uh, they would not have you know uh, sold one to two hour slots in return in exchange for some sort of a remuneration so uh, because these are these were any which were high profile guys so you know what we started doing with them was that wh- whatever uh, you do this consultation and you know whatever proceeds uh, from that call or from that event we will give it to a charity of your cause so that kind of became a slight bit of a business model in which you know some sort of a revenue happened uh but that started pushing me towards the direction of uh, you know uh, thinking more philanthropic platform uh, but by then you know we were i think runway uh, we would you know uh, starting to get into some sort of a runway issues etc um and with no uh, you know uh, uh, you know proper capital in hindsight that was becoming seemingly like bit of a challenge so i i along with one of the uh, one of my mentors uh, i that i knew uh, his name was siddharth uh, he was the founder of web chutney uh, so uh, with uh, so because i was already thinking in philanthropy i kind of joined hands with him as my second uh, venture Uh, and he was already trying to do something on the philanthropic space with uh, his venture was called hope monkey 
So I joined hands with him. Basically, he was trying to uh, raise a lot of capital for a bunch of NGOs. Uh, 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 yeah, so I initially was thinking CSR budgets. But uh, when we joined, uh, what we realized was that the CSR is a is not the best way to fund an NGO. Uh, uh, you know, because it's sort of a division. It, 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 it used to be a confused division. Even today, I don't think, I mean, most of the companies really focus on CSR as an activity altogether. So, you know, in terms of decision making, if somebody, uh, you know, needs to take out a certain capital out for, you know, charity, charitable purposes or, you know, CSR purposes, it's, it's a very difficult budget to take out some, you know, capital out from. So essentially, uh, so so that's what we realized. And so but what we, uh, so we, so we pivoted a little bit and we started uh, thinking that, you know, why not? Uh, create uh, a go to NGOs, let's say, uh, and, uh, um, you know, make a good amount of content from those uh, NGOs. I mean, uh, in terms of how they're performing, who are they working for, what's really causing them to work towards this. And if that story aligns with a certain brand, like a Coca-Cola would align with a certain NGO, uh, Google would align with a certain different kind of an NGO, which is possibly helping uh, you know street children learn coding right so that kind of an NGO. and i remember there used to be a guy in delhi who used to uh, have a live class within a certain metro station uh, so we we took that and we made that into a good content went to a couple of brands and one of them started funding it through the branding budgets uh, instead of a csr so that became a good business model that you know rather than the csr budgets we'll give you a lot of traffic because of the content that we are producing lot of traffic will come on your platform uh, and you know you can assign a certain CPC uh, or impression cost and maybe you can you know donate that to the NGO if somebody is actually transacting on the platform and donating let's say 100 bucks to the NGO you match it and top it up by saying that okay let me provide 400 more uh, as a brand so which will bring in a certain brand loyalty connect etc so that that kind of worked in and we raised uh, a decent amount for a bunch of NGOs in a span of six to seven months itself uh, before which there was a you know, act, uh, you know somebody like a large conglomerate want to acquire us uh, you know and, uh, so I think you know post which uh, I, I, I somehow was feeling that the growth rate was not that high uh, you know the the uh, the maybe you know the GDP per capita in India is so less that you know this is possibly uh, you know somebody would think about charity as the last resort like you know once your basics are covered uh, so I, I maybe that was the reason I felt that you know possibly I should step out and do something else okay okay was it also that uh, maybe there was a misbalance of power like you were the junior partner in that relationship did that play into the decision to move out? If I think in any relationship, if you are getting enough freedom to execute your own ideas, I think that's what's challenging. And I think that wasn't a concern there uh, for sure. I think it was more market that I was thinking that, uh, you know, uh, can be, in, uh, you know, is, is relatively a little smaller. Uh, so that, that's why I kind of uh, moved out. Hmm. So, you know, I've seen most founders uh, don't have that kind of objective 
way of looking at the market and saying nahi this market is too small because they are attached to the whatever they've done so far uh, how do you yeah, how did you get that level of objective outlook and you know to say okay this market is too small and i should move out so essentially it's it's when i think uh, you know trying to raise capital teaches you a lot of things I've, i mean whether to raise capital or not that's a very different debate altogether but raising capital typically means you need to get into a market which is large enough you have the you know high caliber team to pursue and you know really create a differentiation in that marketing in that market and really are able to have a defined execution plan so that you are able to return that capital to the investor at a certain uh, you know with a certain irr uh, that's that so raising teaches a lot of you know uh, business skills as well at the same time uh, for sure uh, you know which i think comes very naturally to some of the folks those who have been doing businesses although in a slightly different model uh but you know most of the traditional businesses uh, knows how to run the businesses but they don't know how to raise capital raising capital is slightly different one but you know uh, kind of teaches a lot to you about the traditional businesses i think depending on different format whether you are going for a venture capital uh, capital uh, or a private equity capital i think both teaches you very different things so when you were essentially attempting to raise funds for hope monkey that's when the realization hit you that this is too small an opportunity yeah because largely which is that one philanthropic company which has become a billion dollar i know that's a uh, that's a very materialistic thing to think of but at the end of the day if the business needs to scale the market needs to be quite bigger and i think at that point in time i was thinking more from that standpoint uh, that you know considering the age that i was at etc i wanted to get into a market which is large enough and which can actually become very big Hmm. Okay. So then you went back to a job after almost more than two years of being an entrepreneur. So how was that experience like going back into a job? Yeah. I mean, I I I wanted some time for sure to you know. I think uh, I I think I'll it'll be very difficult for me to go back. Uh, I think it was I I I've never thought about uh, anything as as a job or or not a job. as long as the problem statement is really challenging and you know I'm, i'll be able to yeah i mean if i like doing it i'll i'll get into and do whatever is required if it's challenging enough uh, so you know at that point in time i the for the for the role after it i was uh, about to get into a new industry and you know it was building things from scratch again So tell us about the role after that and uh, I got offered a role in at Pepperfry to lead the you know uh, uh, to build a private label in furniture from scratch uh, so that was a very good uh, you know experience in itself I uh, you know I I thought the role is going to be pretty challenging uh, you know uh, furniture is a very different category and this was this was not entailing only a certain section or a product or, or just building a platform around it this was you know uh, help, uh, you know working with the product team essentially i was owning the pnl for furniture altogether so that means uh, you know almost running a company with and working with you know product guys marketing guys etc all the all the folks within different divisions and then working it out so i think i i felt this is again a very similar role it's just that the market is big uh, you know most of the platforms were pretty much 
um, the vertical at that point in time. Uh, this was one horizontal play. Can you explain what do you mean by a vertical play and a horizontal play? I mean, horizontal is across the categories. Vertical is just, you know, focusing and, you know, doing a deep dive into one category altogether and becoming and emerging as a leader in that. So I think, uh, you know, I, I felt, uh, you know, something can, uh, you know, this is going to be materialistically very challenging. But while I was at it, again, I think a problem statement uh, hit me and I, I thought possibly, uh, you know, rental can be a better offering for a guy like me who's been constantly changing cities, changing jobs, pursuing different aspirations, moving and wanting to keep uh, the life flexible. I thought that, you know, this is a, so renting can be a better lifestyle. Uh, but when I started looking at the economics of renting, I mean, it just really, uh, I think all the learnings that I had, uh, you know, back in college because of, you know, in finance really helped me to imagine that, uh, you know, how renting is something like a lending itself, uh, you know, that I'm not giving somebody, uh, you know, let's say of uh, 30,000 rupees so that, in terms of loan, so that somebody goes and buy a bunch of products, and I'm giving somebody thirty thousand worth of products to him, and essentially collecting a monthly installment back. So it's very much like lending. The contours for the business is very much like lending. So you know, and and the kind of economics that I was seeing compared to any lending organization at that point in time was just very very superior. I thought this really makes sense, and you know that's how I kind of left at Pepperfry and uh, started Intermojo. Did you like, you know, first make a business plan and then look at uh, like the economics of it and all of that and then quit or did you decide that uh, this looks exciting? And uh... I made my own version of business plan. I don't think it was as sophisticated as one would. Uh, I mean, after this experience of running this entity for five and a half years, I mean, it's, it's very different now uh, if I have to make a plan or you know, sort of a forecast or even a projection and the kind of questions that I'll, you know, possibly look for. That point in time, it was a basic one, you know, but uh, because the data also was not there when we, when you're starting off, it's, uh, I think that's why it's the most risky is because you don't have a lot of data. You need to, you know, somewhat pursue, a, you know, sort of a gut understanding as well. But, uh, you know, at least at the unit level, you understand and you can do the quick match that, you know, how, how much you will be able to spend in terms of acquiring the consumer or what, what, what will be the basic Marwadi business that you can run and, uh, you know, try and see if it really makes sense and, you know, what are the contours around it. Uh, of course, there were many challenges at that point in time on running that business as well. Uh, you know, the biggest problem was the cost, uh, cost heaviness of it, that uh, you need a lot of capital to be put into a bunch of products which you will be renting out, out to consumers. So that was a cost, uh, you know, cost-heavy business at the end of the day. How to, you know, how to work like a bank, keep borrowing from the market, and then, uh, you know, converting that into a bunch of products and then renting it out to the consumers and essentially making a spread is something that we realized later on in the journey. But uh, when, when we were starting off, we were just imagining, okay, okay, we have 1 lakh rupees, turns le paenge, paisa bana paenge. So those were the crude calculations that one did, you know, I made a prototype of the platform and floated it out and, you know, apparently within the first one, one and a half month itself, some decent number of orders started coming in. 
yeah and you know then we hit the bigger problem of solving for this capital effectiveness uh i in fact reached out to uh, i remember okay and uh, so how did you solve the capital problem because uh, i think you would have realized very very early that your own that you can't bootstrap it yeah so that was the problem so i think uh, you know the, uh i think again we were running into some sort of a capital problems and uh so and we had a couple of payments that we were pending for that we were supposed to you know clear off the pos for uh, invoices for uh, a vendor and the assets which we have already deployed and we were generating rental against it so i think uh, the business model came out of uh, the problem that we were facing at that point in time because we what we uh, told the vendor is that you know we'll give you a portion of the rental that we are generating rather than paying off your invoices so that's almost like uh, you know somebody uh, giving us a loan uh, for the assets that you have given out to a consumer and essentially a fraction of what you are making is what you are giving back so they will make a smaller return versus what you will make but you will essentially make a difference of what the vendor would have made and what we were making monthly so that became the business model and that pretty much is the business model when you go to a bank also i mean the bank uh, takes the capital from a normal citizen like me and you for about a 6 to 7 months and they uh, been a downstream uh, give loans to several of the large i mean for larger projects um, and essentially they make an arbitrage in between so that's what it is essentially that's what uh, lending is all about and that's what you know sort of renting is all about as well hmm so how many months in did you like figure out that this is the way to scale up like did you like finalize this as your business model I think three to four months, uh, you know, uh, we hit this problem and we were able to figure it out. Three to mo- four months in, yeah. Okay. So how did you get people to agree to that? And you know, I would imagine a lot of vendors would say, "Why do I need you to do this? Then I can do this on my own." Yeah. So uh, the, it started happening because he had a necessity. I mean, he wanted some sort of a you know square off of the invoices that we had, so he had to do it. because we said there is no other option at the end of the day but you know that gave us an idea to not reach out to vendors we started reaching out to bunch of high net worth individuals like marwadis who are looking out for interest so that worked out because if somebody is putting in a mutual fund for 7% 10% or 11% we were promising a much higher return here uh you know basis the projections that we was for, uh, uh, checking out so that really worked out with a lot of uh, you know people those who started uh, putting in a couple of lakhs into the business into the assets so these hnis would fund the purchase of furniture and you would pay them back a percentage of the rental that you're running yeah yeah okay so first year uh, how much did you make like was it profitable from year 1 itself or you know what was the first year like for you i mean at at every other scale most of the businesses can turn profitable uh you know at that point in time we were generating decent capital but you know uh, because we raised capital we want we, we started growing fast and we of course started bleeding uh so you know uh, so venture capital is possibly after raising venture capital definitely we wanted to move and grow fairly fast 100% 150% year on year 
so that's that's the kind of a growth rate and that comes at a certain degree of cost uh, so we of course you know from the i think first year we would have made something because it was just i mean financially your first it was at just about 6 months 6 to 8 months was the journey for the financial year but for the second financial year of course we bled because by by that time we would have raised a capital round we, we raised a equity round and uh, we started growing fast we started increasing our infrastructure etc etc and that uh, so, so i don't think um, so now, now we are fairly close to profitability but at that point in time uh, you know uh, yeah of course we we burnt our way to the growth Okay, so uh, what was the reason for taking on VC funding, and how did you go about uh, closing that round? I think that uh, you know, to most that that seemingly is the next logical step when whenever somebody doesn't, I'm not recommending a certain path. There, there has been many fabulous guys, and I respect them quite a lot, who has been able to build businesses without taking any external capital. And some of the best ones are out there. You know, you talk about Zerodha, you talk about Zohos. Of the world, these are these are done some phenomenal job. Uh, you know, kudos to them. Uh, but to most of the people, those who don't come from the affluent background, I mean, uh, you know, ca- taking capital, external capital, seems like the most logical way to, you know, sort of uh, craft your product into something more meaningful so that it reaches a little larger mass. So, how did you uh, get success in the efforts to raise funds? Did you already know VCs or? did you have to knock a lot of doors and hear a lot of noes no i i i didn't know anybody in the ecosystem so i had to knock a lot of doors uh, you know meet a lot of people and you know something on the other click then you know just that uh, we we had a business model which was seemingly scalable that you know people were funding these assets and we were making a you know a quick uh, you know spread in between that turned out to be a pretty good one uh, and that's when you know i think we got funded So uh, what lessons do you have for other young founders trying to raise funds like what did you learn uh, you know based on whatever knows you would have heard before you heard a yes uh... I mean to to uh, to converge on a capital right I mean uh, how to how to capital Yes yes to to raise your first round yes yes it, it's it's more like you know finding what is good for your business and really really able to understand the expectations of the investor as well at the end of the day all investors are looking out for irrs and and crazy irrs so that they can return uh, the, you know some sort of a capital to their lps at the end of the day uh, so essentially what you need to showcase is whether the business will make some sort of a profit or not uh, now there are at different stages the objective is slightly different in the initial days uh, you know if you are raising a seed round or angel round it's it's more about whether this company can raise a series a or series uh, you know b sort of a situation but uh, post the series uh, you know post you have raised a series a it's mostly a question about uh, can you exit tomorrow you know how bigger a uh, so it it's all about I, as i said it, it depends on the kind of investor that you are going to but you should never i think you should always ask you know what does your business really truly needs and whether your expectations is matching with the investors expectations and if there's an overlap which is happening or not um, because uh, you know not every other business is also uh, you know helpful with respect to vc capital uh, uh, and not uh, and some businesses truly i mean i i feel venture capital uh, is mostly useful for companies 
which have network effects you know something like a facebook or something like a tiktok something like share chat maybe i don't know i mean businesses which can grow on a network effect uh you know sometimes uh, you know uh, you know growing slow might be uh, a good thing for the business as well so it depends on what your business is what your expectations are of the business is and you know uh, uh and what are the expectations of the investor what kind of investor are you reaching out to and what does he want what kind of a business is does he want what kind of a returns that he needs to give it back to their lps and if his if he sees that okay investing into this i'll be able to make my crazy returns or moderate returns or you know meaningful returns depending on what kind of an investor he, he or she is then i think there is a match so every other business at the end of the day you know to prove this is all about whether the market is big enough whether you have a very sharp team and market is big enough sometimes for a, for for a market which is uh, you know sort of has comparables uh, you know sometimes you are creating something absolutely very new so in those days it's mostly how you are able to really convince that the team is great uh, you know lands you the job uh, versus sometimes the market is fairly you know visible that it's huge and more and more number of people are getting in so if the industry is hot and you are trying to do something there so automatically some of the good ones gets picked up and you know then it depends on their execution capability uh, on how they'll be able to really deliver uh, you know on the execution so i think yeah so uh, depends on that market needs to be a big uh, team needs to be fairly laser sharp uh, strong and as you go forward your execution truly matters at the end of the day so uh, tell me something uh, can one really convince a vc that this market is big or does one look for vcs who already believe this market is big oh, of course you know and i mean the, it comes both ways some i think investors keeps uh, doing the study on which markets are big and then there is an outbound that happens uh, but in a lot of cases if you're starting something new you need to prove that there is a market uh, at times it's easy at times it's not that easy i mean at the end of the day everyone is looking out for empirical diff, uh, you know some sort of a numbers to prove that the market is there you can't just say that the market exists market is big i trust me so who invested in your seed round and how did you uh, close the deal with them IDG Axel uh, you know were the seed round uh, providers then Bain Capital came in after some point Samsung Ventures have come in GMO Mitsui uh, you know these are some of the Japanese uh, investors who have come in into the round uh, yeah so you know the fairly a strong uh, you know big cap table that we have so how did you close the deal with them like uh, was it very easy to pitch and convince them or did you have to do a lot of follow ups and uh, like you know h- how easy or difficult was that no i think uh, when it doesn't happen of course looks difficult in hindsight but when it happened it, it took possibly one and a half to two weeks i think it was aligned their thought process and uh, you know what we were thinking at that point in time was fairly aligned they were already bullish on you know rental as a market so it kind of worked out pretty well hmm. okay Okay, and then with Bain Capital, like, how how did that happen? Well, it was a cold call. I mean, I reached out, I dropped a small note to somebody, you know, an investor in US, and he replied back. I was going to US at that point in time, and automated, you know, one meeting, and you know, we 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 sort of liked the proposition. They liked the proposition. They asked me to meet another gentleman uh, called Reno, who was the founder of Lending Club. Somebody I respected quite a lot. 
so I reached out I met him he liked the business and you know that subsequently that that was fairly fast I wouldn't say easy but uh, you know at least uh, you know the the journey with Bain Capital was fairly fast hmm okay 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 so uh what was the scale up journey like you know if you can share some numbers like from year 1 to year 6 you're now currently uh, on year 6 uh, you know what has the journey been like the journey has been uh, you know i mean it always a roller coaster ride uh, we've, we've grown uh, you know almost i think we started off with a small AUM, we have grown over 150x, uh, you know, in in a short time period. Uh, I think more than 150x, uh, you know, just in the case of AUM itself, you know, several. Uh, so, uh, so in between, we partnered with a lot of big banks, NBFCs, and institutions to fund the assets. So, you know, has has been a pretty good journey. Okay, and what is like. the the low point of the journey which you know you typically like you know what you would say as near death experiences you i'm sure you must have had a few so what were some of those yeah so many i think most of the businesses goes through that kind of a you know a couple of near death experiences altogether but you know uh, coming out of it is 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 fairly fruitful uh, because you always learn coming out uh, uh yeah so uh, you know we have our uh, fair of near death experiences as well how have you evolved as a leader from year 1 to year 6 you know what were the learnings that you had along the way uh, journey is more of a founder to ceo i think you know that's 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 the kind that's how i would put it i mean you know initially you're trying to solve a lot of things slowly and gradually you 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 start building a great team to solve things you don't necessarily solve things yourself and you know you start solving some other things i mean market comes into the picture as you scale uh, people uh, come into the picture as you scale i mean even you are a small team it's mostly i mean more hustle work more problem solving etc as you grow uh, you know market dynamics perception in the market uh you know how to manage uh, how to bring in the best of the best uh, teams who can take the responsibilities how you can really get yourself free from any of the activity would define a great ceo at the end of the day so uh, tell me about uh, some bad calls you took or some mistakes you made and what you learned from those the plenty i mean you know, you know uh, Uh, i think uh, rather than getting into more uh, i think as you scale up a lot of focus is also required i mean uh, so i think the entrepreneur's mind is all about you know what new thing that one can do uh, as once you start scaling up a lot of focus is required on on to the things that are working uh, you know uh, so that's why i said the journey from founder and to ceo is very very important because you start focusing on all on on a lot of variables in the business that are working rather than you know going off shoot and trying to do a lot of things all at once so i think that's been one of the learnings for, for us as well we know what really works now uh and how to make it scalable uh, rather than you know really thinking about very innovative wacky ideas which we have done that in the past one of the wacky ideas that we came up with is you know shirt subscription that you can uh get used shirts uh, you know a couple of shirts every month 
um, you know every one week you'll get around seven to ten shirts at, at around 500 to 600 rupees a month so that was fairly wacky that you are getting 40 to 50 shirts but yeah i mean i in hindsight i don't think there was a need to do that so um, how has uh, covid impacted you have you seen uh, it impacting negatively or positively and i mean you know there are both types of businesses some like edtech companies are obvious winners uh, whereas companies in travel are obvious losers so how has it been for you so i think it uh, you know for us uh, you know it it only is beneficial because you know the work from home demand is you know suddenly shot up 5000% uh, you know uh, it, you imagine a economy where most of the people are cash are cash stricken uh, you know, they they have lesser cash than earlier because of the job loss and the salary cuts, and there is a lot of uncertainty in the market that where will I be in the next couple of months or so? Will I be in the same job, different job, in back to my hometown, etc.? That is the breeding ground for any rental to flourish, uh, because you don't want to invest into a lot of capex. So you know, this will be a inflection point for renting as an industry as a whole. Uh, but of course, you know, the way COVID has been handled, uh, you know, of course, some of our consumers are also moving back. I, I don't think the cities will truly normalize uh, and all the economies. I mean, most of the businesses that I know, except, uh, you know, those who are completely ed tech driven or, you know, mostly tech, uh, you know, would have a positive spin. I think the maximum of the economy is at a max of 70, 80 uh, percent in terms of the revenue. I think some are even at uh, 40, 50 percent right now. So I don't think, uh, I mean, and for the economy to get back, uh, you know, these cities needs to get normalized as quickly as possible. Um, so I think, but apart from that, I think most, uh, you know, when it comes to us, demand is back. Uh, you know, at, uh, the cost to acquire consumers is fairly cheap now, is, is quite less. Why is that? Less marketing budgets, uh, you know, across. I think, you know, less number of people, less less budget is going on. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So essentially, you know, uh, this is a great market for somebody who has a good amount of capital to acquire new consumers altogether. Hmm. Are you seeing uh, more uh, uh, rentals happening post-COVID compared to what you were, say, in February or March? Oh, yes. I mean, we, we are at much lesser budgets, uh, you know, with much lesser budgets and we are already back to the demand levels that we were doing pre-COVID. Okay. And uh, so you have a certain view on lockdown for which you also wrote a fairly lengthy article on LinkedIn. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, largely, you know, what I feel, uh, you know, which I've conveyed in the you know article as well, that the more and more interstate, uh, uh, you know, travel is not restricted. Uh, you know, uh, lockdowns will never really help us and the cities will never come back. Uh, the you know you look at uh, I mean the state authorities should ensure that the cities are coming back to normal and you know f- tackling that is fairly straightforward. I mean you need uh, see you can't do a lockdown uh, at the country level if you keep having folks from other countries get in inside the country right i mean the first action that any of the government took was to shut the borders uh, you know at the country level because you don't want contamination or transmission to get in. Uh, when you are keeping and restricting mobilities across the nation uh, because it's counterintuitive. If you keep both the things open, uh, you know, uh, you will have a 14 days quarantine within your boundary 
but uh, you know within that time period there will be new transmission that will be getting in as well and that was one of the biggest reason to shut the borders and then do a quarantine right now that same philosophy that you undertook at the country level you are disregarding it at the state level when the states are as big as uh, some countries i mean tamil nadu maharashtra and karnataka is as big as uh, you know some of the states like uk and you know south korea the population and the size uh, is as big as these states so the states i feel i mean we need to when we look at india we need to look at it as a combination of multiple countries uh which are which are having their borders restricted at the end of the day so that the transmission doesn't come out in and out of the state very very easily you need to check them for covid negativity uh, and that's when you should allow somebody to pass on to the other state uh, i'm not saying interstate goods movement i mean the economy for optimizing the economy you need to keep the you know interstate goods movement on and that to any which way you know there is no transmission happening there because one guy is moving around in his truck Uh, they will deliver the goods and possibly will go back the true problem happens when you put a lot of people within a very small concentrated volume like a bus train or a air air travel uh, which has a huge probability of transmission and then you move them from one state to the other since the efforts pan india is not coordinated enough it will be a nightmare for us to stop uh, transmission and that's what we are possibly seeing happening in bangalore uh you know it was taking care of things very very positively till the time uh, till may but suddenly now uh you know the, the 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 number of new infections have gone beyond 2000 per day this is a very grave number and that largely happened post the you know opening up the of the interstate travel through train and air flights so my you know what i tried to convey through that article was fairly simple that uh you know we need to restrict the interstate travel and we need to discourage as much as of intercity bus travel etc uh and once we do that i think it's going to be very difficult i mean if if you keep the mandatory mask uh usage on uh then and and keep the high density uh, you know travel within the city uh, you know uh, at the minimum and shut the borders in terms of uh, at least transmission uh you know uh, i mean not shut the borders at least restrict it with the you know mandatory covid testing then automatically things will uh, you know it's it, the transmission is going to take uh, uh, you know it's it's going to be very difficult to transmit so uh, what do you think the new normal will be like and uh, you might have heard or read about uh, zoho's founder sridhar talking about a like a movement to villages like encouraging his uh, employees to go back to their villages and work from there permanently do you think uh, things like that will pick up or is this just temporary i think it's very very uh, temporary because you know cities have a lot to offer at the end of the day one thing is uh, you know definitely once the offices stabilizes one you're here because you because of certain degree of lifestyle and second you want to be closer to your office you know some companies can definitely some large companies can definitely move uh, to you know remote areas and can start generating the employment there but anybody uh, i think the mic most of the uh, you know uh, you know industries like tech etc are uh, set up in the major cities right now uh, so i think the the moment the you know of uh, city stabilize i feel a lot of those guys would come back and would want to work from the offices 
but having said that a few people would form up offices in elsewhere maybe possible uh, you know uh, it can be done infosys have done that i think they have an office in mysore uh, but i i feel that's generating employment for folks in mysore uh, it's not that you know folks from bangalore or you know those who were in the city or already has tasted the lifestyle of a city are moving suddenly to mysore and started working from there do you think the concept of an office itself is going to get outdated 100% remote will be uh, you know quite far fetched uh, but you know maybe a 30% remote uh, will be the new normal sure i don't think people that regular behavior of coming to the office will exist people would typically want to come to the office because they want to have a fine line between personal and professional because you still have 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock when it gets over you get back thinking that your you know professional day is over uh you know of course you can stretch uh you know if, if there's a certain you know interesting project but you know that deadline is very important and you know what i'm hearing is people are finding that uh you know a difference uh, you know a lot more problematic there's a, the, the the thin line has suddenly gone uh, and people are stretching more and more so that's going to be a problem but people would typically use offices more as a brainstorming session that people will get together brainstorm and go back and i think a lot of uh, you know tech companies would move larger uh, uh, but but the, the demand for offices is not going to go i mean it, it's not going to be 100% ever i don't think so even after coming back to new normal uh, but i don't think it's going to go to zero uh, you know and i don't think it's going to be it, it's going to be something like more than 50% is going to be suddenly remote i i think you know more than 50% will still be office uh, people would still want to uh have that uh, you know touch with each other at the end of the day okay and uh, whom do you see as your biggest competitors i think the market is too small right now uh, you know any competition coming in is will only help uh, you know there are two uh, two players i mean we and you know one more uh, the, 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 the you know uh, uh, with the largest uh in terms of the subscribers in terms of the revenues etc uh and i think uh, as i said the industry is right now too small uh and when only uh, i hope you know this year is going to be inflection for rental altogether so uh, how do you underwrite uh, the consumers to whom you are lending what, what data do you look at like what is your approach over there Oh, many data i mean across some 130 variables is there i i don't know if i can elaborate more on that a uh, little sensitive uh, but you know some some 130 variables is what we look at so when someone wants to rent from you you ask them to fill out a form which has all these fields uh, and that gives you this data no that's the magic that you know we can't ask the consumers a lot of details but you know we need to have a lot of details for verifying it so uh, what is one question that you are searching for an answer to you know a question that you personally are trying to find an answer to when will this uh, you know when the cities will normalize <laughs> when will the cities so, normalize right now that's that sort of a question that i'm spending a lot of time trying to imagine and uh, what next for you as a person like what is the next level of learning that you are looking for you've had one level of learning moving from a founder to a ceo role what do you see are things that you need to learn next i hope moving from a ceo to you know possibly listing this company is going to be another big challenge uh, that is driving me uh, you know i think this is the kind of a business that can be listed in a couple of years and that's what uh, you know drives me a lot
So what did you learn about building a team and hiring people? You know, what were your learnings in making that journey from a founder to a CEO? Uh, you know, what were the learnings on this part? Like how to hire and build a team? No, so the hiring is definitely, I think, uh, you know, a common goal and a vision is going to be very, very important to bind the team. I think nobody works for anybody these days. People work for an objective and a you know shared vision at the end of the day. So forming a shared within vision with very high caliber people is fairly, very, very important. I think that's that's one of the most important roles for a CEO. So uh, when you hire someone, w- what is your way of judging if this person is the right person to hire or not? I'm still learning there. I mean, I, I have at least I have a caliber team who's able to judge the person fairly, very well has to be analytical, has to have a, but uh, having a great energy is very, very important. Uh, Being trustworthy and having a supreme energy is, I think, supremely important. Uh, You know, uh, to get things done, uh, you need to have that ownership attitude and a lot of energy. And at the same time, you know, if somebody is uh, not straight-minded or, you know, people call it clever or, you know, not uh, rightly bent and, and they're smart, and a lot of damage can also happen to the company. How do you judge energy? Do you like do you base it on how energetic they are in an interview? You you can feel it, right? I mean, when you talk about ideas and everything, you can feel it. When you talk about problems, you talk about solutions. People talk about the work that they have done. Uh, you can sense the energy. Okay, great. So, uh, any last uh, advice you would like to leave our listeners with? people who are aspiring founders and entrepreneurs keep trying uh, you know by think there is there's never a good time to start off there is never a uh, you know so that's one uh, choose your partners very very carefully really uh, try and understand what do you want to what expectations do you have from the business and most of all i think uh, uh, rather than making a lot of mistakes and learning i think you know uh, very important is to you know learn from other people's mistake quite early uh, because uh, you know uh, one of the important traits that i've seen is you know almost all ceos make a lot of mistake uh, but slowly and gradually you know you're forced to make a prediction at all times uh, but most of the time uh, the successful ceos make a right prediction so you know one need to learn that as quickly as possible and you know that that largely happens when you uh, are a good listener you're a great listener and uh, and of course uh, you know rest is hygiene analytical sense and everything is hygiene you need to be a great listener to you know and really consume some of the best learnings from people those who have made mistakes so that you're always keeping your predictions very accurate Beyond Campus is a production of the Podium.in, powered by Career Launcher. If you like this show, then we are sure that you will love our other shows on subjects like entrepreneurship, marketing, books, and drama. Check out the Podium.in for a complete list of all our shows.